Oh, I think uh, we're we're live. Um, yes, I didn't know we were live, but yes, we are live. And uh, I was going to queue up the introduction video, and that introduction, of course, being, "Hey, how how bad is inflation? It's this bad." Hey, look at this nigga. He's like a clown. But look, look, look. Hurry your bitch ass up, nigga. <laughs> That's some really big, bad inflation. Welcome back, beautiful and amazing human beings. My name is Lukardowski here of wearechange.org. As of course, we are going to be live for the next hour and a, and a half here on youtube.com forward slash wearechange. And then, of course, continuing the conversation on Rumble, as of course, there's a lot to discuss as there's a lot of internal woke drama at Harvard University. Dave Portner guy involved. Lots of people are canceling each other. We're going to have that conversation, plus a lot more, with all the latest news all available here for the next hour and a half on thebestpoliticalshow.com. We've been working really hard here behind the scenes. There's many ways that you guys could participate in the conversation, as, of course, we will be reading every super chat, every message you guys send in. We, of course, will be addressing when it comes through a super chat or a rumble rant or through mysuperchat.com, which now Clint has promised to read every which one from last night and tonight, or he promises to, of course, taser himself live on air <laughs> as of course this conversation is going to be a very interesting one as we have a semi-packed house for this conversation joining us for it is of course the one and only james Lindsay. james for the people who don't know you who are you and how would you introduce yourself i am james Lindsay. i run a company called new discourses i'm trying to be as super boring as possible because i hate to talk about myself um I write books. I expose communism. I spend all my time reading uh, woke and Marxist and weirdo literature so that people can decode it. Somebody said I'm the, the, the woke Rosetta Stone recently, so I'll just go with that. Um, newdiscourses.com is a website. I'm at Conceptual James being an asshole on Twitter most of the time. And so that's who I am, I guess. I don't know. What do I, What do you want me to say? That's that's pretty popular. You say whatever you want. We're we're living in a free country somewhat now where we still have the ability to say what we want in some way, shape or form. Uh, I wanted to make a joke about that inflation is what I wanted to do. I think you, you go right ahead if you want. Well, that dude is pulling off Biden Bidenomics just as well as the administration is what else all I wanted to say. Like that <laughs> it's pulling it off. That's what Bidenomics looks like. It's working for him and nobody else. And the <laughs> That's a lot of inflation. Yeah, 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 yeah. He he's pulling something off. I'll I'll just leave it leave it at that. As of course, Nobody desperate is, times yeah. call for desperate measures, and I don't I don't I don't want to know what that guy's up to. The next person I'm going to introduce probably does, and his name is Clint Russell, a man who has forgotten to read the super chats and rumble rants last night. Um, Clint, uh, how are you? You know, I'm I'm how does breaking... no, no, no. How, how does it feel being in my seat for a week? It's very stressful, Luke. I'm doing oh. my best. I'm oh, doing yes. my best. Yeah. But I but I, I will say this. I'll be much more appreciative of you moving forward, seeing as there's a lot to take on when you are trying to uh, steer the ship. Uh, I am a, a prodigy, or not a prodigy, a uh, a student, if you will, 
of Mr. James Lindsay. I've been listening to New Discourses for years, or as long as he's been doing it, it feels like, and it's a, a fantastic deep dive. His his uh, ability to analyze critical theory and explain it to the masses and wake us up has been a godsend to me. It has helped with my show, Liberty Lockdown, and I'm uh, thrilled to have James on. I've had him on the show a couple times, and uh, I was very, very happy that we, he was able to make time for us tonight. So uh, let's get into it. I'm going to start us off by getting uh, Patrick Beck David's take on the non-firing of the president of Harvard, Mrs. Gay, and we will see what uh, what James, having been the, the demolish, demolition crew of academia, thinks about his take here. I actually and love the fact that they took this position. You know why I love the fact that the board took this position? Let me tell you why the board took this position. In this situation, pen one. In this situation, pen one. Because you can, you can hire somebody, for example, you can hire somebody in a company, and how much background check can you do on the person? Do you know if the person's a serial killer? No. no. Do you know if the this person likes young uh, boys? No. Do you know if this person has certain porn habits you don't know about? No. Do you know if this person... You don't know this stuff, right? You hire them. But then imagine you hire them, and that comes out, and then you don't fire them. If the board fires them, yep. what the company is telling you is, we don't stand for that. But... If you hire them and the board keeps them, what the company is saying is, we stand for that. So in this situation, Penn is saying, uh-uh, we don't stand for what she just did. Harvard is saying, uh-huh, we do stand for what uh, Gay did. Wow. So Harvard lost big time, okay? Yeah. Parents, if you're thinking about putting your kids in Harvard, you may want to think twice. James, thoughts? I've been saying stop hiring Harvard graduates and stop hiring college graduates for a while. I gave a talk at Penn State recently, and like, so that's not the same Penn, uh, but that's <laughs> University of Pennsylvania. But I gave a talk at Penn State, and like, it was cool. University talks are challenging in certain ways, but at the end, I was like, just like, f Harvard. It was like this is all Harvard's fault, and they were really happy with me. So I've been blaming Harvard for a long time. Harvard is actually just showing us what Harvard is uh with this this isn't surprising to me i'm i think the only person on the internet not at all surprised by this people are like well she plagiarized blah 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 there's probably some woke interpretation yeah it's like yeah we wrote about it in cynical theories five years ago it's called it's literally called research justice where they get to bend the rules of regular research in order to prop up intersectional characters like this is not new this is this is this is what they do. She is a, an agent of the revolution. So she gets special treatment and they decided that doubling down on her was a less damaging approach. I think what they're going to do is they're going to try to spin and they're already trying sort of, I don't know how it'll work, but they're going to try to spin this, that um, they're making the university uh, system in general, but Harvard in particular leading the way is making a true stand for free speech and everybody else wants to censor and silence speech. So they're going to do a full reversal, like the total Uno reverse card on free speech and censorship. Um, and they're going to try to say, no, we stand behind her and we're 100% behind her speech. And free speech is the cornerstone of our country and blah, 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 completely ignoring the fact that they've, you know, been just absolutely blowing people up for speech for for years. Um, I think that that's probably what's going to go on. This isn't this is this is zero surprise. 
And there's a lot of money at stake here, as it's estimated that they've lost nearly a billion dollars in donations. But there's a lot of different nuanced points that you kind of hinted and brought up here, kind of extrapolating this entire saga, because there are a little, a lot of different debates. There are a lot of different takes here. A lot of people are kind of in the middle here. A lot of people are like, yes, finally, the woke institutions are eating themselves and attacking themselves. There's other people saying, hey, free speech, no matter what here. How do you deal with this problem, uh, Lindsay? Or, or, or do you just kind of step away and see them kind of eat each other up? Um, well, the the revolution only strengthens itself. This is something people don't understand. It's like people think, oh, these contradictions are going to like build up on them. And the, the, all they ever do is consolidate power and consolidate power. Uh, they might alienate enough people. And so really what we need to be focusing on is whether or not they're alienating people and how to encourage people to feel alienated by what they're doing. Um sitting back and watching them and just pretending that, that like something sane and good will come out of this in the end. Like that, that never happens. That's never how leftism works. Uh, if they do a circular firing squad and kill virtually all, I mean, metaphorically speaking, all of their people, um, the person, the people that rise to power in the vacuum that's created by that are always worse. You always go from Lenin to Stalin. It, it never gets better. Huh. Yeah. So, so now this uh, now this, uh, you know, uh, probably uh, um, I, isn't she like a, a lesbian? Now this black lesbian is probably going to be replaced by, you know, the new Mao Zedong of, of Harvard University. Is that what you're saying? Well, if if she well, right now, she's not being replaced at all. But if she is replaced, it's a pretty damn good bet that what they're going to do is replace her with somebody who's either harder line, which is what we saw, say, with the mayorship of Chicago. Uh, which Eric Adams is the mayorship of New York is now that's like kind of getting dicey um, or they're going to replace with somebody who's much more subtle, who's able to be a much more crafty operator who isn't going to to make these glaring errors, but is, is more subversive. So um, the pressure, like there is no, like, let's remove this person. The, the problem, I should say, not the pressure. The, the problem is, deeply structural to what's going on. I mean, we could say, I don't know when Harvard went bad, probably when Rockefeller dumped a ton of money in it a hundred years ago. But um, at some point Harvard went bad and it's not going to just ungo bad because you switch out a president because she made a faux pas, uh, even though that faux pas, it's not a faux pas, but that's the way that they would view it. She created a, a um, she, she f said something in, inconvenient is the way that they would view this in front of Congress. And, if they, they replace her, they're just going to replace her with somebody in-house. There's going to just be more ideology. So the pressure campaign that has to mount has to be something that hits them hard. A billion dollars in donations is a lot against Harvard, but Harvard will be propped up and protected financially. What hurts Harvard the most is that its graduates struggle to be hired, that the, a Harvard degree becomes recognized as a liability, especially at high-prestige firms. Um, that is a, a much more damaging uh, prospect for Harvard is, is actually that their brand absolutely tanks. So it's time to just start treating Harvard like the Bud Light of universities, basically. Absolutely. You know, and now there's a big debate that I want to kind of go and 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 talk to you about in, in a little bit, specifically when it comes to some individuals saying, hey, now it's time to support Bud Light. Other individuals like myself are saying, no, we shouldn't. But before even getting into that debate, Dave Portnoy is doing exactly what you were just describing as we have a Daily Mail article here describing how now he is doubling down and is saying that he will never hire a Harvard graduate again after, quote, President Claudia Gay keeps her job. Your diploma is useless to me. 
the entire country should do the same. I, I kind of agree with Dave Portnoy. I don't want to hire anyone from, from a public university, from an indoctrination center, which again, was heavily financed by the Rockefeller industry and essentially made people good factory workers and allowed them to, of course, regurgitate information, be good order followers and do what they were told without even questioning it or doing the rational thing. I think if I think if there ever was a, a biggest kind of subversion of our institutions and societies, uh, individuals like David Rockefeller, specifically when it came to the education system, when it came to the, the public health care system, was able to dominate these institutions by throwing a lot of money into it. Now we see very similar things being done by Bill Gates. Uh, but but through that money, they, they finance their larger kind of ideology. And I agree with you. They might get rid of some of these presidents, but the larger problem there still absolutely persists. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'll join Dave Portnoy now officially as well, promising. Wait, Clint, are you a Harvard grad by any chance? No, but uh, I'm, I would lie just so I wouldn't get fired if I were. Okay. <laughs> I promise never to hire a, a, a Harvard grad, not even just because of this, this latest Israel thing, just because the whole system is rotten to its core. And I don't want to incentivize people who, of, of course, went through that line of indoctrination that um, uh, are, are a byproduct of this larger, or, or this larger system. Well, this this has been a big focus of James and I's work over the past couple of years is that, you know, you really are destroying your own corporation by hiring these people. Clint, so can you up your microphone? Your microphone's a little bit low again. Yeah, you got to up it go. really high because last right. time people were saying that you were talking like you were in the other room. Uh, I'll juice it. Go ahead, James. Juice it. Juice it up. I mean, I, w I would just say that what, what we're talking about in terms of, you know, Portnoy or I guess now you joining in, Luke, which is, a, you know, a huge step for you to not hire Harvard grads anymore. Um, that actually is happening kind of organically. I kind of hear that a lot. Um, I hear people whisper whether they're working for, you know, big consulting firms, whether they're working for other corporations or whatever, that it's like, yeah, Harvard grads are a problem. Every time we hire them, there's a problem. They come in, they're entitled. They won't do any of the grunt work. They're like, it's a problem as it is. It's already kind of getting to be a meme in the even the prestigious employment world. Harvard grads are a problem. And now we got them calling for like global intifada. And we've got uh, this <laughs> utter, utter shit show with, with the president gay thing going on. And it's just it's just time to bury Harvard and its brand. I don't think we can actually kill Harvard. The brand is probably too old and too strong and, and whatever, but it's got to, it's got to have, have like the Scarlet H wrapped around it for the next, you know, generation or so it's got to be considered like, um, well, I've been saying, you know, in Harvard would be the, the worst of them. It's this extends the entire university system overall. It, the, the saying used to be you go to college to get a good job. We all got to start thinking you go to college to get a cringe job. And that's all Harvard's been for a long time. It's like a hedge fund on the cringiest jobs in the freaking world. It's like all these weird like puppet master jobs and 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 grifter jobs and and to hell with it. Like it's it let's just start saying no to this as much as we can. Uh, and I, it's organically happening because. Harvard sucks, but now Harvard's really showing everybody that it sucks and great in my well, opinion. You, you said, it's like you the said, factory. It's like the factory for the woke mind virus that that essentially comes out of that thing. Uh, again, we're a small company. We probably would never even be in a position to hire a Harvard grad. But I just wanted to reiterate: none of you guys are coming here working for for We Are Change. 
Well, it would be so it's so self-destructed the corporations that hire from these indoctrination mills. These people come in and they are they are by their very nature they become subversives and they they are ultimately massive litigation risks and and um undermining their their bosses it's just it's just so self-destructive but it's it kind of feeds upon itself because these people hire their own so like they they immediately seek out power they seek out jobs in hr they only hire harvard grads it kind of feeds upon itself and you've seen a lot of corporations that, that have destroyed themselves with this by by propagating not just the academics but also the dei esg framework uh it has been totally destructive to the the capitalist system and and it has been stunning to me that more corporations haven't come out more forcibly against this sooner. Uh, I'm, I guess I'm grateful to see that it's happening, but it, it does concern me that that this is the one time I actually agree with the president's taking this stand that that even if you're saying reprehensible things, you ought to be on a college campus allowed to do so. This is this is supposed to be the area where where you know unpopular concepts are they go there to debate. We we just went through this with Jordan Peterson and all these other academics that were getting chased off of college campuses, and the right wing was saying, no, let's let's have debates, let's talk, let's talk this out. And now you have the same thing with this intifada chance and everything else. I still stand with that position. I still say to myself, I would rather there be debates with these people. I don't want to see these student groups kicked off of campus, and I don't necessarily want to see these presidents fired, even though they certainly could have worded things better. Uh, I'm curious, James, I know you've already kind of answered this, but is there is there any negatives by wanting to see these people fired for defending free speech, even though they're doing it for a principle that is not our own? Is that not still upholding our principles? Well, yeah, this is actually a subtle point because um, cancel culture in reverse is still cancel culture and it's still the problem. But can cancel culture is a very uh, specific thing, like firing people for taking responsibility uh, when they abuse their power is not the same thing as canceling people. And I know that like at a low resolution, it looks the same, but they're not at all the same. And in this case, we have two things in front of us with President Gay or whatever Um the, the we can talk about the one at Penn. I forgot her name, uh, but it doesn't matter. Uh, with, with with Gay at Harvard, there's two things. The question is, did she violate the university's policy that it's her job to uphold? And it looks like yes. So canceling somebody for uncomfortable speech when she actually violated the university policy, whether that policy is good or bad, is another question. Well. That sucks. Uh, a second issue, and I said there were two, there are three. A second issue is that the, the plagiarism charge is completely unrelated to this. We probably found out about it because people started looking really closely at her, but it's actually yeah. completely unrelated. And that is the kind of thing you would dismiss a president for. Um, and, uh, you know, there's the issue, of course, also that if we replace these people, we're going to replace them with somebody worse. But we do have to protect the principle of speech. I actually gen generally agree that we should be having debate but uh, about whatever issue but of course what you're seeing with with massive gatherings out on on campus or whatever uh that's what they're doing is not debate in fact what they're doing frequently is shutting down debate they're frequently terrorizing other students um it's not just whether or not they're creating a safe and inclusive environment which is the thing that conservatives have objected to so there's lots of different issues in play are they violating the actual policy that they're they're there to uphold is that the issue? Um, of course, it's cathartic to see people removed, but we should be very clear. We, I think we should want people who abuse power and generally communists to be removed from power, but we have to remove them from power for legitimate reasons, not just because they said something you know, objectionable. Uh, the third reason in play here, and this is, I think, the one that plays hardest 
uh, I guess uh, I've got some inside info that it's Liz McGill at Penn. Um, she did resign or step down or got ousted, whatever it was. And the reason with that is the president is the face of the university and it, or it's like the CEO is the face of the brand. And if they stain or damage the brand, it's probably not best. It's very similar to what Patrick, but David said, it's probably not best to keep them in a position of authority. And that's not a small issue. If she's going to end up damaging the hell out of Harvard's brand, if it's lost a billion dollars or approximately in donations, she damaged the hell out of the brand. Is it worth a billion dollar loss to keep this woman in a position of power? Well, looks like it. Um, so uh, those things matter too. So, but the question is, yes, there is, uh, the answer to your question, Clint, is yes, there is an issue where you are removing somebody for arbitrary reasons or because you don't like them or because they spoke, you know, in an ugly way, but there are also legitimate reasons that should be appealed to. Did she besmirch the university and damage its brand? Well, that's bad for the president to do. Did she violate university policy? And then, like I said, with this particular, that's for all three of them. But in this particular case, what the hell is plagiarism? Like, why is she, this got the, like a huge thing from the Harvard faculty, Steven Pinker writing a defense, not of plagiarism, but of her being able to keep her job. Like, what in the hell is this? Um, I know what it is in terms of research justice. And I know what it is in terms of political officers are virtually untouchable in a two-tiered system. But for those reasons, you know, when the, when you have the legitimate accusations to remove somebody from a, from a position of power they're abusing, uh, you have to take that step. That's not canceling. That's responsibility. And Harvard's not taking responsibility here. Um, that's why I think Patrick Bet David's right that this overall ends up, it's still bad for Penn, but by removing or getting McGill to resign, uh, putting the pressure on and getting her to where she felt like she needed to resign, this is in a sense partly a win. Uh, it's a partial recovery for Penn, but this is a catastrophe for Harvard. It's just yeah. a catastrophe. Makes sense to me. Um, I, I got a clip here that uh, is from OMG, James O'Keefe uh, at IBM. They are once again kind of propagating the same DEI ESG framework. I want to play that for so a We quick. take underrepresented and gender. you got to move both forward by a percentage. That leads to a plus on your bonus. By the way, if you lose, you lose part of your bonus. I'm not trying to finesse this. So for blacks, we should try to get towards 13 point something percent. On Hispanics, you got to get into the mid-teens. So let me say it. Asians in the U.S. are not an underrepresented minority in a tech company. James O'Keefe here outside of IBM's corporate headquarters in Armonk, New York. An IBM insider has provided us with an internal video showing the CEO of IBM, Arvind Krishna, using coercion to fire people and take away their bonuses unless they discriminate in the hiring process. I mean, this is just classic ESG. They, they benefit tremendously in terms of getting financing if they get their employment figures to match whatever the demographic is in the US because then that's equity and blah blah blah. Uh I'm just I'm just a little bit surprised that this is still not getting pulled back on at all. Has there not been enough legal challenges in the courts that that show that this is obvious discrimination discrimination based off of race or is it is that or did the courts not defend white people, I guess? No, this ties in actually this ties into what we were just talking about because this whole thing because you were saying, you know, with with hiring Harvard grads, we were saying something about why isn't it that this has, you know, why it, what you were talking about how they create liabilities. Woke woke hires create liabilities. Yep. And so they are, 
literally like even civil rights or discrimination liabilities waiting to happen. The thing is, is that discrimination law in the U.S., civil rights law, is not applied even-handedly. It's not applied in a blind fashion. In fact, it's best to just say it very plainly. It is not applied in line with the 14th Amendment, with the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment, upon which it is actually written. And so what you see is why is this not getting pulled back anywhere with the legal challenges? Why do you still see the hiring of blatant liabilities who are going to lead you into certain kinds of uh, litigation is because they still have the power. And this is largely based off of the judicial interpretation in Griggs versus Duke power from 1971 about disparate impact in hiring, uh, whether or not that constitutes evidence of discrimination. It, it allows them to actually weaponize civil rights law to claim they were fired because racial minority or failed to be hired because of racial minority or sexual minority or whatever, when in fact it might have been for something completely different. Um, the ability to weaponize civil rights law to say, I was discriminated against, here's proof, all hinges on the interpretation of that Supreme Court case, which said that there, if there is a disparate impact, so let me just tell you what was going on in the case. Duke Power had you know, like all big kind of factory or industrial kind of environments had a floor and it had like a managerial, you know, tier, two different tiers of employment in some sense. And what they actually did was they separated the floor workers so you could work there and have all the experience in the world, but, and you might be able to get promoted into the office, but you couldn't cross from floor to office without passing a competency exam. And this competency exam was producing a disparate impact in the number of, it, it was not at parity with the number of white people that were passing it versus number of black people. More black people were failing it than parity suggests should be the case. And so it went to court. They, they alleged that the test was discriminatory. It, they were not able to find any discriminatory question or any discriminatory intent whatsoever in Duke Power. But the fact that the test was producing a disparate outcome was taken as a de facto discrimination that the company was held to be responsible for. And so this opened up to the idea that you can interpret whether or not discrimination is happening under a clause of disparate impact. So what you're seeing with this ESG crap is they're exactly the stuff we just saw IBM talking about. And the, why are they still hiring these, you know, literally like walking hand grenades, uh, woke <laughs> students? Why are they hiring these people? The reason is because civil rights law still tilts the liability incentives away from uh, fighting against this stuff. It's not just the ESG scoring. Yes, it is the ESG scoring, but it's not just civil rights law being misinterpreted through disparate impact uh, overwhelmingly tilts the liability field against employers that don't play ball on this. So it's not just that they know that they're going to get dinged on the ESG game with BlackRock or Vanguard. And there's a whole huge interesting corporate thing. You talk about it decimating capitalism. It does this ESG stuff does so much bad stuff to capitalism to to capital period that it, it's shocking, but at the same time you have this huge problem with the fact that uh, the discrimination law, the civil rights law, is not actually being interpreted according to the, to the constitutional amendment it was written around. Uh, they've in, by, created in disparate impact a de facto equity protection clause instead of a equal protection clause. Uh, which doesn't exist in the actual wording of the amendment or the constitution. So this is, you know, this is actually a more sophisticated rendering of Caldwell's argument in the age of, age of entitlement. Uh, they have in, in practice created a new constitutional regime under misinterpreted civil rights law. 
Uh, some of that's been knocked back, but that so this ties right back in because of the Harvard and UNC discrimination and admissions cases, which they're doubling down on those things too. Um, those cases knocked back some of the, the cases in the Supreme Court or overruled some of the, the decisions in the Supreme Court, um, Backey versus Board of Regents in California and uh, Grutter versus Bollinger, for example, both took a hit under the Harvard and UNC cases in terms of admissions in college. And this has employment uh, implications as well. But until we have a direct judicial hit against the disparate impact provision in Griggs versus Duke Power and related decisions, this goes nowhere. This whole ESG corrupt hire woke people or else regime uh, in, maintains its its legal grip over corporate uh, corporations in general. And that's aside from the index fund, you know, financial capital behemoth problem right. uh, that is is doing literally trust activity, um, probably illegally, but people haven't figured out how the law works there yet. Interesting. Well, I know Luke's got to run for IRL here soon. So uh, before you do, Luke, I'd like to get your comments on that. No, I mean, it's just interesting, the timing of all of this, because they've been able to essentially push on a lot of these racist, discriminatory policies that clearly violate people's civil rights for for a while now. But but now when it comes inconvenient to the American kind of larger foreign policy doctrine, they're like, OK, no, that's it. Now we need to have some scalps here. And they got uh, Penn. They're going after MIT. MIT also is connected to a lot of the kind of intelligence agencies. So that purge is also kind of interesting as a lot of the pressure now has been on Harvard. I'm trying to be like, hey, you know, MIT there, they're connected to some really weird, sketchy stuff. Let's really start focusing on there as I think James kind of really uh, put into perspective how these larger institutions are essentially factories of what I would call the woke mind virus that a lot of people are being captivated by and pushing a lot of these discriminatory, crazy, insane policies on the rest of the world from. So I think it's important to, to call a lot of this out. It's fascinating to see this kind of internal purge, not purge happening here. But a lot of people are saying boycott, boycott, boycott. I, I wanted to continue the conversation. I could stay on for a couple minutes more. Yeah. Uh, I, I could probably leave in about 15 minutes as I had this uh, conversation last night with uh, Tim Poole. We, we disagreed on this particular point. I thought Tim brought up some very interesting perspective and points as he made the argument that you know, we should support Bud Light right now because they are now doing good things and investing in non-woke companies. And we need to say that we had a victory here. We need to reward the dog for good behavior. Meanwhile, my argument is no, we shouldn't because they're still doing a lot of woke stuff. I think it's important to still boycott these companies. I think it's important to stand up to them. I think it's still important to send a larger message that we can't just be simply placated by an advertisement that works out for both of the people who are involved to the tunes of hundreds of millions of dollars. Since personally, I think morality shouldn't have a price tag on it. James, I wanted your kind of perspective on this and your point of view. Where would you stand on this particular kind of debate and conversation? Well, since Tim's not here, I'll tell you, I agree with you. Um, <laughs> good, good. If Tim was here, I would also say that I agree with you. But I heard from Grok that he's a trans man, so I don't know if I take his word seriously <laughs> anymore. The um, the the thing with Bud Light uh, is that that ball got fumbled either way. We got to do what we got to do with it. But it, they were never, nobody at, at Anheuser-Busch or InBev or whatever was ever hauled in front of some kind of a, say, Senate hearing or an oversight meeting 
to explain why in the world they did this in the first place. In other words, it never ended up on record what kind of incentive structures and pressures that they're under from either ESG or these corporate equality index scoring uh, mechanisms or other mechanisms. Uh, so we've already kind of fumbled the ball. But I mean, one of my main reasons, if I'm not wrong, unless it's changed, it didn't Bill Gates go in uh, it's like low point and buy an absolute metric yes ton he of bought a huge amount of stocks and that was yeah. my point yesterday too on yeah. the show originally no, i was kind that. of hearing the arguments in brought up the argument like hey no this is an international company that does a lot of bad stuff and tried to sell alcohol to small children while influencing influencing them to cut off their you know what uh we're still here on youtube so i can't say the full phrase but um and, and then i'm like wait wait hold on i'm listening to Bill Gates invested a crap ton of money into Anheuser-Busch, and now they're going to have a remake here. They're going to have a, 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 a new campaign that's going to have all the Americans supporting them again. I'm like, no, I don't automatically. That makes me say no. Yeah, that's I, a that's a that's like sus factor of 95 right there on its own. <laughs> I'm I'm, yeah, I'm pretty convinced at this point that we ought to just be boycotting any corporation that has that's held in any significant fashion from the Bill Gates or the Black Rocks of the world and, and just kind of create a reverse ESG funding where if you are if you are propagating narratives and concepts that are counter to my preferences which is basically like classic Americana of property rights and free speech and everything else, well, then I'm going to divest myself of you. And and I think that there's nothing wrong with that. I, I totally appreciate Tim's point. He's saying you have to have a carrot and you have to have a stick. And they have already received the stick and now we need to offer them the carrot. My point would be, what have they really done? They threw uh, an eight-figure check at the UFC and I'm supposed to just go, oh, you guys are cool now. Like, that's just not reality. Like, they are they are literally paying to tie themselves to a brand that isn't so woke to try and uh, rehabilitate their image. But what, where's the action? Like, what I would like to see is them do something truly unpopular, truly untenable, like, I don't know, sponsoring the best political show.com. No, I'm just kidding. That was too much of a, of a grift. Uh, we wouldn't, we wouldn't, take that, we wouldn't take that. We wouldn't promote alcohol here know, on the show I'm, anyway. I'm kidding. I'm we actually the, got, we actually got advertisers that sell booze that tried to give me um, a five figure kind of endorsement deal to, to sell uh, booze stocks. And I'm like, no, I don't want to sell alcohol. I don't want to sell that kind of substance to, to individuals because of the kind of larger social harms there. So sure. uh, no, wouldn't happen either way. But but I was just going to say if they if they were to sponsor something like Tucker Carlson on X, uh, that would be so like dangerous for them because then they would actually run afoul of the the broader cancel culture which is really controlling the world right now. If they were to do something like that, I'd be like, oh, they've really seen the light. What they're doing right now, they're throwing a huge check at, at the UFC and expecting all of their their past ills to go away, and I just don't think that that's adequate. So uh, while I agree with Tim's premise, I just think that they haven't done enough to demonstrate it. And his point about having to boycott the UFC doesn't connect at all. Uh, like, sure, Bud Light gave them a ton of money, but if I don't buy their product, that doesn't do them any good. So I don't have to I don't have to boycott the UFC because they're taking a payday. I could certainly. Uh, critique and criticize Dana White for for giving them lip service that I think is uh, unfounded, and I did so. Uh, but beyond that, I still plan to watch the UFC, and I don't think that there's anything hypocritical about that. That's my take. 
No, those are those are important points to, to make here and important perspectives because it, it is it is dividing a lot of people, and I think the arguments are are, are pretty pr- pretty solid on both sides. I know where I stand. I know what I want to see. As of course, I'm just sick of of these kind of institutions getting away with harming us so much. When, when you're telling small children to to drink alcohol, and when you're telling them specifically to an audience of 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 people on Snapchat. And, and a lot of the younger audience here, here is the person we're standing behind. Here is our role model. Here is how to make it in society, Billy, especially if you're a white guy. Well, guess what? You're going to have a lot of problems making it unless look what this guy's doing. He's really popular. Again, that kind of um, uh, low IQ kind of indoctrination is, is something that I think truly needs to be called out more than ever because I, I, I do believe representation matters. The ideas, the symbolism, the subconscious subliminal propaganda absolutely does matter and play a major impact and role on our lives, not just about how we see each other, but how other people see us. And uh, I, I'm just sick and tired of, of people being undermined, of people being discriminated against, of people being hated, no matter who they are, what they are, whatever they represent. This larger cult, I would say, and and James, uh, feel free to correct me on this because I, I do believe they're a cult, thrives off of low vibrational negative energy. And, and you don't have anything lower, in my opinion, than hating someone because of the way that they were born. And when you boil down their ideology, it, it, might, it might be you know a little bit regressive just to say it this way, but, but that's how I see it. Is there any other way to kind of understand and see what else is really going on here? I mean, the, the classic that they want power, but no, that you're, you're not wrong uh, in that assessment overall. They, they feed off of that. They want negativity. They want chaos. They want um, destroyed. They, they want people on the margins, basically margins of their own lives, margins of society so that they can scoop them up, radicalize them. Now, later, if they have more power, they won't want that anymore. They, they, all these totalitarian regimes in history do a massive cleanup campaign after they gain full power. Uh, of the 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 broken people, the de- the degenerates and destabilizers that they've created, and also their own way. biggest supporters. Because if you look at what oh, happened yeah. in China, you look at what happened in in the Soviet era, the Soviet Union, the, their biggest supporters that got them in there, they're the biggest threats to them, and that's why Stalin Mao took all of his inner circle out. That's in right, inner circle. Fashion. Mao had, Mao used the Red Guard to get back power, and, and then when he got it back in sixty seven, going into sixty eight, he rounded them up with the People's Liberation Army and got rid of them. Uh, Yuri Bezdemov and his, you know, lecture that he gave in 84 said that, you know, he called the left to those political prostitutes and he said that you shouldn't do anything to do with them. They think that they're going to have a a standing in the new society, but that's, of course, preposterous. But they know too much. They're too dangerous. They're too broken. So you just line them up and shoot them is actually what Bezdemov said. So, um, yeah, they get rid of those people for sure. uh, And they feed off of that. That's completely right. Uh, Whether or not targeting Bud Light you know, I can understand why there's kind of the carrot stick thing, the both sides argument. I agree with you. Like I said before, Luke, um, the issue is that what we have got to do is we've got to parlay that those successes, whether we won with Bud Light or whether we're still winning and which side of that we're, we need to think about doesn't matter. We've got to get in the habit of taking those things to the next step because it's ultimately the the ESG driven cartel, the, yep. the financial cartel that's that's got these corporations by the cojones rather than just the uh like i said the the civil rights misappropriation of law that's really driving these things and it's 
uh, when when Clint said that it's destroying capital or capitalism, it, it you you may not have a full depth of understanding just how deeply it's doing that. But it's not just you know ideological capture and using what amounts to monopoly power, using other people's money to jerk the market around in stupid directions. Um, it's also the fact that they're undermining using these gigantic passive index funds. They're actually undermining the purpose of the market in the first place. One of the primary purposes of the market, a la the invisible hand, is in fact price discovery. It is all economic activity, as Hayek pointed out, is ultimately also information gathering activity. And so if you can't accurately determine the prices, then you are not going to be able to allocate resources correctly. Centrally planned economies always fall afoul of this, and then there's mass starvation eventually. So for all of the inner circle wiping out that Mao and Stalin did, they also ended up starving millions of their own people. And the reason is because central planning doesn't allocate resources correctly because it ends up putting lies into the information. So the way the market works, it actually incentivizes people making bets on what prices should be given the constraints of the supply and demand. So the corporations, the companies are suppliers, and then people are making guesses on what can be supplied, making guesses by, by the corporate, the corporation's capacity to produce. They're making guesses on what the demand of the population is. And then they are making, they're placing literal money on those those guesses are making bets and the people who make the most accurate bets, whether they're trying to just, you know, invest, whether they're short selling, whatever they're doing, they get rewarded sometimes big time for making accurate guesses that ultimately set prices. And so they're, they're actually providing a tremendous insight to the amount of, um, by the way, I learned this in an MIT from an MIT uh, economics class, uh, <laughs> finance class. So secondhand, I'll, I'll admit, but, they are putting a tremendous uh, blockage into the price discovery process. So now it's not what does the market with its supply and demand forces, so what does the population need in terms of resource allocation? It's ultimately like, how much does BlackRock really think this company's worth because they're deciding to index it, which immediately increases its value by whatever percent, or delist it, which hurts the crap out of it? Like for other reasons, which could be ideological, it could just be like straight greed, which I don't think it is in this case. But what they're doing is they're actually blocking the ability for capital. Now, Patrick Bet David was talking about this the other day as well. And from the late 1990s, 98, I think, until 2018, in the 20-year span, there's this thing out there called a zombie corporation, which is technically a corporation that can't make profit, but they're propped up by crooked financials. The proportion of zombie corporations in the American market from 2000, or sorry, from 1998 to 2018 went from 2% to 16%. 16% of the corporations that existed in 2018 should have gone out of business, but they're being propped up by this, this bogus capital where people can't make honest bets about the value of corporations. It's the same problem that led to the subprime mortgage, yeah. really, of these securities. People are buying into highly rated securities that are full of junk companies. Well, think that that's before COVID. How many corporations got wrecked, but they played along really well? I don't know what the zombie corporation rate is now, but that was before COVID. This whole thing turns into a giant scam to create, basically, I've been calling them corporate ring wraiths because they they take the ring. In other words, they adopt the ideology of BlackRock, Vanguard, State Street, these huge financial institutions with the ESG crap, 
and then they get to float whether they're profitable or not. Like, is Disney even profitable anymore? Like, is is that a thing? Is it a zombie corp? Yeah. If you um, look at their movies, they they've had a, a long stream of uh, of bombs uh, as of late, and it's because they're pushing a bunch of narratives that the parents don't want their kids to be imbibing of. And and to your question as to whether or not I understand the depth of it, I think the reason that this this your audio is low again, really quick. Uh, I'm gonna have to okay. leave uh, uh, really quickly. I'm gonna have to go here, but uh, I like what you guys are talking about, and I want to leave you with this conversation that you guys will be continuing here as of course i i wanted to to bring up the fact that it, it also revolves around secret federal reserve bailouts that have been happening for many years now i confronted ben bernanke about this he got really angry and literally tried to rip the microphone away from my hand when i asked him about the largest transfer of wealth in recorded human history that happened in 2008 and 2009 during the banking crisis that of course they also helped engineer in many different ways there's also two articles that i sent into the chat josh if you could just quickly pull them up because i want to leave this conversation between you and Clint, because I'm going to have to go here now. And it, it, it's not just BlackRock. It's not it's not just State Street. It's the U.S. Federal Reserve. And it's also individuals like Lynn Forrester D. Rothschild that, again, launched her own council with many of the payment processors, with Visa, with MasterCard. We have a New York Times article here that I also sent into the private chat that talks about how the Pope blesses the business plans and how they're launching an inclusive revisionism of capitalism. So they've been trying to do this for a very long time. They use different names. They use different things. But I want you guys, Clint and James, to continue this conversation when I leave. We should also leave on uh, YouTube. We have some rumble rants. We have some super chats. We got one rumble rant from uh, the Red, who said alcohol is how they keep us us stupid and depressed and distracted from all the ish that they're doing to us. I agree. Alcohol is definitely a suppressant. A lot of people say spirits and a lot of things people think it's spiritual. There's another one here by Based Joe saying, I'm just here to give you my money, Based Joe. I appreciate you for your super chat and you guys supporting us. Ada19 gave us $5. Thank you so much for that super chat. Thank you, all of you guys. As of course, I am now officially leaving. Clint, you decide when the conversation gets really spicy and then you guys get off of YouTube. But I'm leaving now. Um, James, thank you so much for, for joining us. Clint, um, um, run the show. You're, you're, you're head of, the, head of the, the ship right now. King of the castle. Uh, yeah, yes, and I am going to go on. We have uh, some really cool guests coming up on the Tim Pool Show. That's going to be at 8 p.m., uh, there's going to be a really big show Friday that following Monday, we're doing a big show with Tucker Carlson. So stay tuned for all of that. Lots of things happening behind the scenes. I'm a little exhausted. I got two more shows to do today. Um, I've been doing five shows uh, a, a day. I'm exhausted. Thank you guys for dealing with this kind of new way that we're doing the show. We usually do a show in studio in Miami. This is a little bit different because of the travel circumstances. We were still doing an amazing work. Shout out to Josh, who is helping us behind the scenes, getting a lot of this stuff done. But on this note, I got to go. Love you guys. Stay tuned for more. Clint, take it away. Good luck on IRL tonight, brother, and uh, we'll look forward to checking you out at 8 o'clock. Uh, James, uh, go ahead and tell people where they can follow you. We're going to end the YouTube stream and head over to Rumble. Oh, we're going to get real. <laughs> yep, <laughs> All right. Exactly. Yeah, the website is uh, newdiscourses.com. That is newdiscourses.com. If you get confused, you can go to newdiscourses.com. We bought that domain and redirected <laughs> it. And um, I, I'm... <laughs> 
I'm at conceptual James across the social media platforms, except Facebook, which permanently removed me. And uh, it's at new discourses for the company across all social media platforms. And I am Clint Russell at Liberty Lockpod on X. If you want to follow me, Liberty Lockdown on Instagram and Liberty Lockdown is the show on YouTube and Rumble. I'm currently suspended on YouTube, but you can find my show and all the new episodes that are on Rumble. I just did an episode deep diving Piers Morgan and Alex Jones' latest riff after Alex Jones was brought back on X. And uh, you guys will probably enjoy that one. Go check it out. And we are now exiting from YouTube. Please, everybody, come on over to Rumble. I know it's scary. I know it's a new technology. It's just, it's horrifying. It's a new platform. How could you possibly transition? Well, you can. You can. If you haven't learned anything from all of the woke college professors, you are capable of transitioning. So transition over to Rumble right now. Uh, we'll see you guys there in just a second. And in the meantime, let's, let's uh, play a little video to show how much more entertaining the Rumble segment's going to be. Get the fuck out of bed, bitch. Go. Get up, get up, and they got gold. Welcome to Rumble, motherfuckers. <laughs> God, I love Rumble so much. I'm so so grateful we get to talk openly and honestly. Um, so, James, I wanted to to say a bunch of inappropriate things because now I'm allowed to. Um, should we be pushing to end the Civil Rights Act, given that it is it is only being applied uh, in the direction of minority protections, which I obviously I actually agree with. But if it's not applied even handily, uh, that seems totally counter to the entire framework. It also ultimately creates essentially a reverse Jim Crow, where it becomes almost illegal for large corporations to, that want ESG DEI framework style funding to hire white men or straight people broadly. It's like, it just seems as if there needs to be some sort of uh, attack on the offensive. And I know, obviously, if you go against the Civil Rights Act, you're going to be labeled a racist right away. But this is racism. So what do we do? Well, I mean, there's a lot to say there. The answer to your question generally is, no, I don't think we should get rid of the Civil Rights Act. That's the short answer. But there's a ton to unpack. So, of course, the Internet will now condense that to James said, no, don't get rid of it. But no, but <laughs> um, the thing is, like I was talking about earlier in the other part of the segment where it was like I was talking about the disparate impact clause that got injected into the Civil Rights Act's interpretation and application following Griggs versus Duke Power in 1971. Like instead of saying as a first step, let's obliterate the Civil Rights Acts. Why don't we say as a first step? Let's try to get this very obviously bogus judicial decision and legal doctrine uh, straightened out first and see where the chips fall. I think that that would actually open things back up and it would enable us to fight against equity on the grounds very simply that the 14th Amendment contains an equal protection clause, not an equitable protection clause. The equal protection clause um, should 
be applied even-handedly, and it should actually destroy equity. The 14th Amendment lawsuits are going to be unbelievable against equity once this disparate impact judicial logic gets overturned. And so going after that as a first line not only um, makes more sense, it's also just in a straight practical, as a straight matter of practicality, um, way smarter. Like the right right now is fearful and desperate. And so like its favorite thing to do, and I say the right, you know, I'm very broad, right? I'm just very, like very broad strokes left, right. I'm not going to get into this whole complicated shit about libertarians and everything else. (laughs) Like forget that shit for five seconds. There's two sides, broadly speaking. And what the right does is it's like, wow, women hate us. We're losing with women. Obama capitalized on that and won big. The Biden thing capitalized on that one bit every time. So what do we do? Well, women are screwing us. So let's get rid of the the 19th Amendment. Like, Mm. bros, bro, you can't even win a fucking state Senate. (laughs) You can't even do that. And then why? Because all these women's are voting against you. So you're going to come out and campaign on offense on the thing that's going to alienate the shit out of them. Mm-hmm. Great plan, guys. That's like a strate- it's like a strategy made out of football bats. It's the stupidest <laughs> thing I've ever heard in my entire life. So there, there are uh, like let's campaign on ending the Civil Rights Act in the midst of the, like that's not going to work. That's a campaign design just from a political standpoint. Sure. Taking morals, ethics, like taking all that just from a political standpoint. That's literally like taking your your Glock and putting as many rounds as you can in each foot before you set out. <laughs> it's just the stupidest thing that I've ever ever heard of. So no, that's not the right target. There are provisions, and I am not adequately legally versed to be able to talk about this in depth. There are provisions within the Civil Rights Act that I think that as a matter of legislation, we should be revisiting and clarifying. We absolutely have to go after all of this, like, you know, for example, Department of Education, Office of Civil Rights interpretations of uh, Title uh, Title IX in particular, like where they've extended it to sexual orientation and gender identity. We've got, believe it or not, with the existing court that we have right now, we have to go after Gorsuch's ridiculous decision um, in Bostock versus Clayton County. Not that I have any issue with um, protecting homosexual civil rights. That's literally not the issue. But the logic is completely ridiculous. The logic that he put forth is just flatly wrong. Not only did Alito in his dissent write how it's wrong in perfectly clear and comprehensible terms, it's wrong or even on a deeper level than that we don't have to talk about. But furthermore, the attorney arguing the case actually conceded openly in court that there was a fatal flaw in the logic that they were giving. And then Justice Gorsuch wrote the majority decision the other direction and said, yeah, no, sexual orientation, if you discriminate against that, that is discriminating against sex, so Title Seven applies. And like, no, it doesn't. So we've got a lot of like idiotic judicial decision-making that has happened that we should be setting massive campaign sites on, not saying let's get rid of the civil rights law, not saying let's get rid of civil liberties for like whatever minority group or whatever, but it's like, let's get back to applying this under the Equal Protection Clause and let's get the the, the legal logic straight and clear. Um, if you want to get into the nitty gritties of why Gorsuch is a moron on that, like we can, but there are a lot of other pieces that make more sense to go after than necessarily going after civil rights legislation, which by the way is 
maybe rightly and maybe wrongly, I think probably rightly considered a crown jewel of 20th century politics. Like that's the thing you want to go after as a target. Um, it's just strategically idiotic. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I agree. It's a political non-starter. I, I was just curious if, if we're to such a dire state that that's ultimately what's going to need to be done. And, and here's the reason I, I, I mentioned it. And I, I understand your, your rejection of the premise. I, I, and honestly, I agree with you. I think it would be political suicide. Um, but my concern is that you have this mind virus, this woke mind virus that has already infiltrated so much of academia, needless to say, the judges come through law school, which come through academia, and many of them, even those that would be classified as conservatives, have imbibed deeply of this elixir. And it's like, well, if you're at that stage where your judiciary is also uh, fucking out of their minds, well, then where's where's the actual solution here? Where's the actual resolution? And it sounds as if you don't believe we're there yet. Well, what I believe that the resolution is, like, let's talk about this as terms of, in terms of a mind virus. Let's, or maybe a virus isn't right. I want something that we, like viruses, they're hard to treat. I want something like that medicine works for. Um, I don't know, like <laughs> I'm trying to think of something where, where you can start to apply a course, like it won't get better on its own, but you start to apply a course of treatment and it will get better. Some really Athletes bad- for- <laughs> yeah, it's something like that. Uh, athletes, I think foot fungus is a great, great segue here. But the, the the thing is, is it works more like that. Like we've only just actually started to apply real medicine to this. It's like, it's like we were like taking, if it was like a disease, it's like we were taking like vitamin C to fight against this for like the last 45 years until about kind of 2018 that started to rumble into people paying attention and saying, wait, there are some actual problems here we have to take seriously. And partly that's because everybody just thought those people that were tried to apply better medicine before were crazy. But we're in a situation now where there is a mass awakening that something is badly wrong in our country. So in other words, the stealth phase of the uh, neo-communist or neo-Marxist takeover has been, that's over. We now know something's happening in the country mm-hmm. and we have a you are not wrong that the future of the judiciary because law schools are captured is it tremendous risk um you are 100 right but what that does is it presents a a window in which the waking up of what we're dealing with to what we're dealing with has to happen fast enough so that the people who have not aged out of the judiciary yet are able to make some very, very strong decisions that actually can start to course correct those captured minds. I don't think that in most cases that the woke mind virus is permanent. As a matter mm-hmm. of fact, I think that a lot of people start to grow out of it. Um, you, I, was, I wasn't ever woke, but I always found it a bit offensive, but I was soft to a lot of these issues. I'm certainly not soft to any of these issues now. So mm-hmm. you certainly can wake up to this. And I think it's incumbent upon us to do a literally a mass wake up campaign that if we don't, then we are going to lose our country. But if what you're saying is true, like what good is getting rid of the Civil Rights Act going to do anyway? If we had the possibility of doing it, they're just going to put one back. Like, yeah, just because there's and, judges and, and, doesn't mean they're not going to achieve it through legislation or whatever again right. anyway. Yeah. And, and it would be more overtly antagonistic towards the majority, um, which is obviously a diminishing figure at this point. But uh, we got two super chats here. Sluggo123 says supporter. Uh, I guess they became a supporter and they said, let's rumble. Yeah, let's go. Marks Lives says, uh, Lindsay, is it true that boys go to Jupiter to get more stupider and girls go to college to get more knowledge? 
James, uh, tough questions for you. What do you think? Yeah, well, it's not knowledge that they're getting in college, that's for sure. What they're getting is cult indoctrination that is particularly susceptible to the to the female disposition. Um, we see the evidence for that in the overwhelming skewing that we're seeing in whatever it is that's younger than Generation Z, whoever the high school kids are in our Generation Alpha is something I've heard. But I hope that we don't just use this like, oh, there was X, then there was Y, then there was Z, and what's the next thing in the alphabet? Like, ah, oh, crap, let's, let's go to Greek letters. Like, <laughs> let's not do that. Like, we should be calling them what they are. Like, we had the silent generation, then we had the greatest generation, and then we had uh, the boomers, and then we had what they call Generation X. That's a bad name. What should it be called? It should be called the second greatest generation, obviously. Then the millennials, <laughs> that actually could work because of the timing, but it's kind of stupid because it's not descriptive. We should call it the broken generation. I'm oh. not sure what we do with these Gen Zs, but the Zoomers actually kind of works because they're that's sort of descriptive. And then um, anyway, whoever's younger than that, uh, they the polarization between boys and girls as to whether or not they're accepting woke, like the girls are like super woke and the boys are like super not woke. Yeah. And I'm hearing lots of anecdotal, but there's also survey data showing that this is the case. So um, what's happening is that the woke mind virus is somehow uh, tailored to whatever set of, you know, infectious receptors or whatever that are involved. It's it's more suited to the female disposition, female neuroticism than it is to the male disposition or male neuroticism. And I don't know exactly why that is. It seems to be rooted in care and trauma and nurturing and all of these other kind of weird virtues. But um, it's also extraordinarily socially and emotionally uh, uh, negotiated and, 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 and bartered. So mm -hmm. it fits like female psychopathy way better than it fits male psychopathy. Mm -hmm. Um, so there are lots of reasons, but so the, the girls are definitely not going to college to get more knowledge. The <laughs> girls are going to college to get turned into automatons of the revolution. And like, I don't know about the part about going to Jupiter. Um, can we go to Mars first? Like, let's, <laughs> I can't, I cannot believe that uh, the silly question got you to give such a such an in-depth answer. That was beautiful. Um, all right, I, I have more questions for you, but I want to play this clip. This is Mark Levin interviewing uh, Elise Stefanik. Uh, Elise Stefanik, uh, the House Republicans in the Education Committee held a very important hearing. I noticed they haven't done it in the Senate yet under Schumer. And that is to get to the bottom of what the hell's going on in these campuses and universities with this virulent anti-Semitism and Jew hatred um, that reminds one of almost Kristallnacht, where people are marching around talking about exterminating Jews. People are hiding in their dorms rooms and in their libraries. Uh, people are afraid, Jews, from going to class to their dorm rooms and so forth and so on. You know, Elise Stefanik, you're not Jewish. Uh, you're what I call a righteous Gentile. And you're right, I'm not Jewish, but I have grown up with many Jewish friends. Uh, I went to Harvard Hillel as early as my freshman year. It shocked me that the president of Harvard had not been to Harvard Hillel until after the Hamas terrorist attacks against Israel. And she was dean of the undergrads at Harvard for years and had been at Harvard for decades. So this anti-Semitism is inexcusable but it needs to be rooted out at its core. In these ivory towers, it has poisoned the ivory towers and higher education broadly. And the amount that we have heard from Jewish students who are rightfully fearful for their safety and security, 
The White House should also go a step further and support uh, investigations. And ultimately, there needs to be a prosecution against, uh, again, this illegal targeting of Jewish students that is happening. But this congressional investigation, which was announced by the Republican chairwoman this past week at my urging, we are not going to hesitate to subpoena communications, documents, all aspects of how these schools and others have mismanaged this crisis. That is so uh, you could probably guess where I'm going with this, but uh, let me start by saying I, I've been very disturbed by the what I've perceived to be a massive uptick in genuine anti-Semitism. And I don't appreciate it. I think that any sort of identitarian collectivist ideology, especially hatred towards collectivist groups, is totally counter to my worldview and, and the, the world I want to live in. So let me get that out of the way. But the right wing, the anti-woke folks, the people that are allegedly my allies now turning around and saying we need to have investigations and prosecutions and, uh, you know, subpoenas to get the private communications of these college uh, apparatus to, to try and assess whether or not something criminal transpired. It just strikes me as being a very heavy-handed heavy approach that really verges on what the left would like to do when they're when they're describing everything as racist and sexist as, hom as homophobic. Does this not seed the ground or, or lay the groundwork for that exa exact same behavior to be implemented against the the right? Yeah, of course. Um, that's the real threat. What the left can't achieve directly to kind of borrow a riff from uh, Vivek Ramaswamy. Hmm. Um, and I'm not going to go pee in the middle of this. Um, <laughs> Please do. That'd be hilarious. <laughs> I mean, that was pretty alpha, but... Um, <laughs> that was such a Chad move. But uh, <laughs> but to borrow, like he always says that what the government can't do through the front door, they get, they get the corporations to do through the back. Actually, it's not the way he phrases it. Let me get him right. He says what they cannot do through the front door of government, they get done through the back door of corporations. There's something very similar happening here. What they can't achieve through direct action on the left, they achieve through uh, the reaction of the right. right. They get the right to become the right hand of the left, in other words, and to advance the erosion of civil liberties that they need to advance in the next turn of the... Think of the dialectic in this case, the dialectical warfare, like a game. It's like chess. Like you go, then I go, then you go, then I go, right? There's You don't get two turns in a row. And so think of it like that. And... Um, they know that they can take a loss in this turn to get a reaction in the next turn so that they can then win in their next move. And they're really good at that. And so you're exactly, I think, spot on with this. The question is, as always, did something actually criminal occur? If something that's actually criminal occurred, follow the actual criminal uh, investigation guidelines. You, you've got to do do everything. I mean, when you're fighting against something that is throwing the book in your face, the pressure on you to do everything by the book goes up by a factor of 10 every single time. You have got to be by the book way more um, because otherwise you risk losing the book. If they don't want the book and you don't want the book, you don't have a book anymore. And that's a problem. So right. in the cases where, you know, the protests that they're doing, if we want to call them that, are legitimately protests. Hey, guess what? That's First Amendment and deal with it. In the cases where the protests bleed over, and this is pertinent, of course, back to 2020 as well, into something that's not legal or that's taking place on, you know, private property or property that for whatever reason, I mean, all of Harvard's technically private property, sure. I think. And so if there are designated spaces where, because it's private property or whatever, that's not uh, acceptable. If they're barricading people into a, 
into a space and, and in a sense, holding them hostage and yelling at them. They're not doing protest like something else is occurring, in which case you've you've got to follow up on that kind of stuff. But if yeah. they're just gathering and causing noise, like, no, if they're destroying property or damaging property or whatever, well, now we've got, you know, property rights have got to be defended. So you've got to do that. And then proper uh, by the book criminal investigations follow. But you there has been a lot of calling not to say not just to like have these investigations and arrests like that, this kind of very heavy handed thing that may go beyond that. But I'm hearing, you know, lots of calls for deportation uh, and and other things where, you know, if somebody's here illegally or in, in Europe in particular, you see it a lot in England, actually uh, illegally, you need a whole lot of pretext to get them out, just do it. Uh, But if they're, if they happen to bring attention to themselves by something that's on them, but uh, deporting people for speech, is really not a direction you want to take a society. Um, Especially like it's, again, it's the same logic that we were talking about with the civil rights thing. It's like, you don't like the, the right doesn't have any institutional power. Like Mm -hmm. how the fuck you think you're going to deport people? Like the second (laughs) you you don't have any power to do it. And then the second you start, the people who actually have the power are going to use it to deport you. Like, what are you thinking? It's like, And the funny part is these same people, these self-same people, these brilliant dissident right are like, you got to know what time it is. It's like, I don't think, I think you live in like freaking fantasy land. Yeah, it's like, like you it's don't like know what you, time it is. Exactly. Maybe you don't know what time it is. Maybe you, your, your, your clock isn't working properly. You got to know where you. we are. Repeal the 19th. Like what? <laughs> It's like, it's like I, I don't know if you noticed, but there's lots of women that vote. And since you're not going to get that passed, you're just driving them into the hands of the left. The funny to- thing is, is totally winning agree. the women's vote wouldn't necessarily even be that hard. Uh, it's the problem is, is that conservatives are literally they sound all tinny and shrill. And then, of course, there's the A word. We don't have to talk about the A word. Everybody will lose their friggin minds. Um, but in a sense, I get the moral premise i get the whole thing it doesn't even matter from a political standpoint the whole of the right wing is being held hostage by the hardline branch of of that particular issue um and it freaks out young women who go vote in very large numbers against you um it's not the whole issue there are lots of issues with with generally we'll just say the republicans uh electorally but like really there's no like your whole attempt to like win over young female voters seems to be Ali Stuckey having a show. <laughs> like really <laughs> good luck. <laughs> like she's great, but like, come on, like you, there's the left is like, has been at least since the Obama campaign and probably Hillary but during that primary in 08, they probably both very firmly realized that the electoral honeypot in this country is young, educated, unmarried women. And that hasn't changed. And if right. we're not going to find ways to appeal to that, like, what are you even doing? I know we got off of, from the from the issue about college campuses, but it's the same stuff. It's like the left is so good at setting it up to where you take, like, if you don't follow the book to the letter, they will turn that stuff around on you. And even though they're obviously authoritarian and totalitarian psychopaths, they will paint you to the large 
low information audience that you actually need to win over on these issues before you can advance politically, they will paint you as the authoritarians. Um, You see this actually with the parents, the the moms groups that stood up against these idiotic books, the pornographic books in school libraries. Now they're book banners. Like they turned it around and, and it's like they're pushing... I mentioned it earlier, they literally are trying to flip the script on this thing that the Harvard president and the other presidents, these universities were making a bold stand for free speech against a censorious right wing campaign. Are you kidding? But (laughs) all you have to do is give a tiny bit of truth to that lie and the whole thing sticks. It's what Gavin Newsom did to uh, to DeSantis during the debate. He's like, California is the, the, the free state. Florida is the, you know, the the fascist state. And it's just like, as someone who was born and raised in California and moved to Florida, it's just such fucking gaslighting to the extreme, but it, it does work with a certain, you know, percentage well, of the population. And here's the thing. When Gavin did that, when he called him like the, lo- when he said it was the lockdown state or lockdown governor or whatever, for the first like month and a half, two months, Florida was. Right. Florida did. DeSantis did lock down Florida. So then there's all this truth that you look like when you say no, well, well, blah, blah, we opened up. Blah, you look like you're the one that's fallen on the wrong side of. If you're explaining, you're losing, and you you don't have a good, neat way to own. Like for the first, you know, eight weeks or whatever, we had it wrong too. And so Gavin, I don't think it really worked. I think it kind of backfired on him. But Gavin actually played a savvy game there. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody, whether it's Gavin himself or his handlers, knew that that was a was was a clever game to play. And then you know how it's going to play out like forever, you know, in the swamps of social media, which is that they're just going to keep having an excuse to point out the hard evidence that yeah, for like eight weeks, ten, nine weeks, something like that, uh, Florida didn't just lock down; it locked down hard. It locked down almost as hard as California did, and right. so. Um, but California did it for over a year in most. But that's in, the thing is like, <laughs> but but that's the thing is you still have you have to go into the realm of it, if you're explaining you're losing. They're mm-hmm. playing the game where they're trying to force you into being the crying angry Wojak guy, or they're trying to force you into looking like the guy in the middle of the midwit meme. Like mm-hmm. you're the one giving the complicated explanation. Like all Gavin said was that he locked him down. He did. He locked it right. down. So that's right. all Gavin saying. So you know they're lying. Communism always marries a truth to a lie, but it's a savvy game they play, and it bears here in these other issues as well. So yeah, if we have these heavy-handed responses like "oh, we're going to throw the full weight of the law at this," you're going to spark up all kinds of stuff you don't want sparked up. First of all, you're going to create apparatuses that the left will use against you. Second of all, you're going to create narratives that are going to be able to wield very effectively against you. Third of all, there's a huge part of the whack job right that's gone full on anti-Semitic. And they're just going to be like, oh, you wouldn't stand up for white people, but you stand up for Jews. And, you know, some very big names in the movement say that and try to make it look like it's all nefarious and suspicious. And it's like, you know, you that is that's chaos agent shit right there. And you're just giving them the hand to play, you know. It's like you're handing them extra aces for the hand that that they're holding, which is a pretty crap hand, right? Or or knocking the knife out of their hand and handing them a gun. Like, yeah, let's see it's how like, this don't works. Don't use up. this. Use this instead. <laughs> right. Don't stab me. Shoot me. Yeah, it's it's uh it's definitely not a path towards victory in my estimation. Uh, you've been going to to war with the uh, the Christian nationalists as of late, and I actually had an interesting clip from an interview with Jim Brewer with Glenn Beck that I wanted to play and get you had mayors your thoughts. Despicable, disgusting. They're not human. They're disgusting. And they should be held accountable, all of them. 
every single last one of them, every mayor, every governor that shamed you, terrorized you, tore your family apart, made you lose your job, divided everybody. That was the most disgusting display of humanity. And these are the people that are controlling my life and your life that they're taking my money from and doing whatever mm-hmm. they want with it. I don't have a choice where my taxes go. That time, that's how I saw it. I saw it as a complete takeover. And then in, in my own house, you know, these kids are all indoctrinated. So the kids are like, dad's crazy. Mm-hmm. Hey, man, your father's putting up. And I, I saw what they were going through. I had nieces. You know, I had my daughter come up to me, and a niece that I love said, uh... Dad, is everything cool because everyone thinks you're, you know, mm-hmm. you're making wacky videos. I felt we're at war. A hundred percent. This is war, however you want to describe it. It's a war on your common sense. It's a war on the control of your life. It's the war on your spirituality. It's the war of your conscience and your mind. And it's not a game. It's real. Unfortunately, humanity doesn't believe that evil exists, and boy, does it exist. I mean, setting aside the fact that I think that he's, his analysis broadly is right, that we are at war, it, you know, shots aren't being fired, but it does seem as if there is a, a psychological war that has been perpetrated against the American people and really the people of the world more broadly for at least three years, if not significantly longer. That's just um, definitely true. This is yes. fifth generational war, which aims not to use any bullets. Exactly. And and I, so I agree with what he said there, where I think he may get into territory that I, I, I think might be counterproductive. And I'm just curious if you agree is in describing it as evil and taking it into some sort of like biblical realm, this, this kind of woo factor that, that comes in, um, I know that you've been going uh, up against many of the Christian nationalists as of late, and and I, well, I, I can I can see the natural human tendency to go, well, these people are behaving in an evil fashion. This is a biblical fight, blah blah blah. Like maybe they're right. I don't even know. I don't think so, but maybe. Um, but I don't think that it's it's necessarily productive to categorize all of your enemies as evil as opposed to just making them legitimate foes that we have to take seriously because you actually end up dividing the the uh you know the counter offensive where people are like well i'm i'm not i don't want to live in a christian nationalist government like i don't personally so like now these people that would have otherwise been my allies i don't i feel like they're also a threat to me i'm just curious how you see that i mean i point out all the time that i think very similar. I don't actually, the part that was that, that I would have thought you were going to ask me about was at the very beginning where he's all like, they're basically, they're not human. They're despicable. I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. uh, whoa, but okay. <laughs> um, that I don't necessarily think is that productive, but no, I, I do characterize this as a war of good and evil very frequently. And I do think it's at that level. Um, this is, I, I don't think of, I mean, I can go biblical and I can go real biblical about it if I have to, which I do sometimes, but it, it's a little inappropriate since I'm not really Christian. So I don't like, <laughs> I don't want to lean on that, but I, I, since I'm not Christian, I can say it in a different way, which is that I take, um, I take all of the things in, in the Bible to be emblematic of things. Uh, for example, so like I was said on Twitter just the other day, I think yesterday, the day before that I think, um, that, that Satan is basically like 
a mythological character that is like the combination of all of the cluster B personality disorders plus uh, psychopathy. Not to say that he's this character that has those things. It's like, no, the influence of Satan is those things. When people say this is satanic, they're talking about that operating in the world. And I do actually think you can think you can have this kind of pitiful, like, well, it's a medical condition or whatever view of it. And I guess it's nice to have a little compassion for people and you shouldn't lose your humanity in that regard. And maybe it is possible people can be redeemed and, and you know, drive out demons or whatever the saying would be. And that's correct for this. But the fact is that uh, whatever it is that the word evil means, it means this deliberate attempt to wrest power and the control people um, to often with hostile intent, with, with, with detriment. Political warfare, which is what fifth generational warfare is using, which we both acknowledge is happening, is by definition the use of political means to get your target population to behave in the way that you want them to, in, by definition, with hostile intent. So it is an act of absolute hostility. hostility. And I actually do think that it goes further. I think that they they are operating from a position of, I mean, my studies of critical theory have more or less convinced me that this is a position that hates life at the end of the day. It wants destruction. It relishes in pain and chaos. And so um, whether your typical mayor like or whatever was that invested in it and whether he was he's probably operating on, on kind of a lot more prosaic variables than that yeah. i do think that the the kind of masterminds behind this and some of the bigger players in it are 100 percent evil and it's the only way to properly characterize it well i think that's that's fair my my question is more if we if we paint them in that fashion if we frame it in that fashion then the natural human response is going to be well this is a religious war we need to now embrace some sort of like christian revivalism to to defeat it and right and, right right you know like is that is that what you prescribe or no no actually well mostly no uh the answer is, is is a very very minimal amount of christian revivalism uh i do think that the judeo-christian ethic um is a excellent alternative and you'll notice that i said ethic and not religion mm. uh i have no problem whatsoever with people believing whatever religion and i've seen christianity do wonders for people i've seen judaism work wonders and people like it's not like the miraculous thing that you hear from christianity or whatever with the born again but i've seen jews that are moved by their faith to do tremendous acts of humanity and charity and, and goodness same with christians i've seen christianity like personally i've seen people have their lives transformed so belief yeah that's fine that's great and and i support it when it's creating healthy outcomes but the idea that christianity is like this automatic antidote to that i think is a very um naive like especially as a religion is actually a naive uh a naive approach and it invites the error of uh reaction so it's very interesting i was reading um both marx and mussolini today what <laughs> as it turns out and so you know i'm reading just because i had to revisit it very briefly i was i reread Marx's third letter to his friend Arnold Ruga, uh, which he wrote in 1843. So for a timeline, 1848 is when the Communist Manifesto came out, right? So Marx at this point would have been like 23 or 24 years old. So he's really young. He hasn't done the Communist Manifesto thing yet. Capital doesn't come out till 1867. So we're way in advance of that. We're literally like 24, 25 years in advance of capital uh, when he wrote this letter. But he writes this letter and he says at the end, first of all, it's like this weirdly like 
very clearly esoteric religious description of what's called for. And then he says what we ultimately need, the last couple of sentences is like we need a confession and the people who properly confess to their sins can start to do the right work or whatever. So it's very clear that what was going on was that it was religious. The first draft of the manifesto, or I shouldn't say that, the first draft of what became the Communist Manifesto was actually titled The Communist Confession of Faith that went on to be called The Principles of Communism. And then it got... And, and and they took the idea of writing it as a catechism out, him and Engels, and then it went from there another step to being called the Communist Manifesto and got rewritten in a slightly different fashion, um, less of a. So it started as like a catechism, and then it turned into a uh, kind of a list of principles, and then it turned into an actual manifesto uh, in different drafts between you know 1865 and 18 or sorry 1885 damn it i got my 45 and uh 48 um as it came to be um funded by what was called the league of the just uh which i don't remember the german for that but whatever this very clearly paints a picture that marxism is actually a religion and if you look at it no matter you want to use just like regular eyeballs like like observe what happened or if you want to use a, a biblical justification of judge them by their fruit um it's very clear that it is it, it works tremendous evil in the world simultaneously mussolini doesn't like bullshit around he calls fascism a religion from like the first couple sentences of his articulation of it and just says over and over again it's a religion it's a religion it's a religion um like literally in the first like the third or fourth sentence it's like fascism is a spiritual attitude <laughs> he just starts yeah. off with with this whole thing and it's a religion of duty to the state and all of this crap and so these things are actually these things which we see with our eyes very clearly do great evil in the world are very clearly also conceived of by their creators in religious terms and unreligious tones yeah the the bundegerken or i can't say german words it looks like gretchen but it's not gretchen poor gretchens in the world um <laughs> Uh, but anyway, Gerechten, I guess, is how you would say that. Bunda de Gerechten. So yeah. the League of the Just. The, the, uh, you know, the, the Christian nationalists concern me, but from my vantage point, it's more like a, a religious extremist is concerning a religious extremist that doesn't know that they're even in a religion really fucking scares me. And, yeah, 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 I, yeah, feel of like, I feel like that's what we're up against is a is a billion people plus that are in a one of the most devout and sick, divisive religions that has ever been known to man, and they don't have any clue that they're participants in it. That's a hundred percent right. That's the woke, um, for sure. It is through and through. I mean, there's no way to get around the fact that it is a it's not a religion in the classical sense of a religion. It is an esoteric religion. In other words, rather than being based in faith, it's based in gnosis and mysticism. They're not quite the same animals. They are always they always generate cults. They always create destruction. Um, you could even argue that a lot of the features that have appeared in different times in different sects of Christianity or uh, within Jews or within Judaism, different sects that have spun off are in fact getting infected by that exact same distortion. And so that this mystics, uh, mysticist or esoteric gnosis-based cult approach to, if faith isn't the right word, but to to um, belief is, is, is a dangerous, dangerous object. And like you said, it's especially dangerous because if I were to name this 
giant religion that includes Marxism as an early variant. Um, I would call the Jacobins were also an early iteration of this. I would call this, so it's a French revolution before Marx and all of that. I would call this soci sociological Gnosticism or social Gnosticism. And I think it's a gigantic problem, huge, like you said, billion plus religion, cult religion, the, the people in it don't know they're in it. They have no idea that it's even that thing. Now that said, Christian nationalism, yeah, uh, they have, some of them, not all of them have um, authoritarian ambitions. They see themselves uniquely as the cure to the woke, the answer to the woke. And one does want to be cautious about, you know, whether it's Jim Brewer's rhetoric or, rhetoric or whatever there, about feeding that that um, kind of gospel of glory, which I think is a, a really, really big twist into the to the bad sides of those things. But um, at the same time, we've just got to be a lot more honest about Christian nationalism than we're being. It's it's a fucking op. It is 10,000% a freaking federal operation. Rob Reiner putting out this weird, creepy film that ties it to J6, which is an exact parallel to a 56-page document the House Unselect Committee filed about how Christian nationalism is the real cause of J6 uh, during those hearings a couple of years ago. Yeah. Like, the, Rob Reiner, he, oh, he's a Hollywood guy. Everybody knows he's tied to the CIA, don't they? Like, that's just known, right? Like, I'm not stupid. Like, I just <laughs> thought that was something everybody knew. So this guy comes out with this film on Christian nationalism. This document says that it is the cause of J6, and it is the end of the republic if they don't stop Christian nationalism. And so it doesn't matter. Like, all the Christians are like, what Reiner gets wrong about murder? No, it doesn't matter what they get wrong about Christianity. This is the whole point is to create a freaking narrative arc with low information people who will justify government power being used against you. You morons has nothing to do with whether they're right or wrong about what they're saying. It's about creating a narrative arc. And so this is very, very obviously an operation that's being enacted. And the people that are on the Christian nationalist side of it that are promoting it are either the dupes of that um, or they are the willing participants in it. And I don't know how to adjudicate who is who. So in other right. words, some of them are Ray Epps saying we need to go into the Christian nationalism. And then some of them are <laughs> the dudes going into the Christian nationalism, right. uh, thinking that when they shook the cop's hand on the way through the door, that they weren't going to end up in prison later. Right. Um, no, that makes, that makes perfect this, sense. This, this whole thing is a gigantic op. Like this document, it was like, well, how do we stop Christian nationalism? It was like, first, we have to start monitoring and controlling public expressions of Christianity from elected officials. And it has all these examples of like elected officials, like in Congress, like giving prayers that say in Jesus' name as a congressman. And then secondly, they say that we have to, um, so we have to monitor public officials, but then we also have to, I mean, in essence, it's almost like we got to bring in the whole anti-terrorism routine on churches to make sure that we're seeing how domestic extremism might be uh, rising under the brand name of Christian nationalism mm -hmm. in churches throughout the U.S., and so it's like this massive Patriot Act surveillance program kind of kind of uh, program that they want to run on on Christian nationalism. This whole thing is a gigantic freaking op. Well, and then, then on top of that, you have the Patriot Act, which leads directly into the persecution of Patriot Front, which kind of seems like a, an FBI op that has some of the uh, the telltale signs of maybe a Christian nationalist type of movement, uh, whether there's, as you said, you know, differentiating between the willing participants and the unwitting, unwitting uh, rubes. I, I have no idea how to how to you know distinguish between the two, but I wanted to play this clip and ask you a quick question. 
Yeah, okay. Pay insufficient attention to the frightening scenario of a comprehensive cyber attack, which would bring to a complete halt to the power supply, transportation, hospital services, our society as a whole. The COVID-19 crisis would be seen in this respect as a small disturbance in comparison to a major cyber attack. I had you followed by Dr. Robert Malone on Liberty Lockdown, I think it was last December. And having the two of you on back to back or close, close thereabouts, uh, and, you know, really deep diving, particularly with Dr. Robert Malone about fifth generation generation warfare, his opinions as to COVID's origin. Now you have the World Economic Forum, which obviously they had uh, the cyber polygon uh, where they were talking about this stuff. You also had the, the lead in uh, with the different protocols and plans that were being laid out to deal with an airborne coronavirus uh, that was in the months leading up to COVID-19. There's just a lot of a lot of coincidental, co- coincidental shit that leads me to believe that we are dealing with, uh, you know, not not a bunch of coincidences, but in fact, a, a, a broader op. You then have the potential for war with China over Taiwan. Uh, you have the potential for war with Russia over Ukraine, which uh, it, it appears at this junction that we've avoided, thank God. Uh, and then the potential with Iran and the rest of the Arab world uh, over Palestine and Israel. All of that, plus a potential, all these, these the seeding of the, the concept of there's being this massive internet blackout or, or power blackout all over the world. Um, it does seem to me that we are perhaps in the midst of World War III and, and most people aren't privy to it, or I've lost my fucking mind and I'm a total schizo at this point. I'm just curious where, where you fall. I've been saying that for years, so... Um, maybe so we're schizo both with total me? schizos. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, we're two totally happy, uh, crazy people. Um, yeah, that was basically like watching the trailer for 2024, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> right. and now Obama's got his movie out about it. Right. Yeah. Like that's just happened. Yeah, leave the and world like, behind. I just watched it yesterday. Yeah. So there's like, like you, they're just kind of like, they like to prime people's consciousness, but they also, if you believe the really dark religion stuff, ask people's permission to be able to do stuff. What that movie with Obama, what the money scene uh, kind of uh, articulates is, okay, so this will happen, and then there's going to be mass chaos, brother turning against brother, another civil war. Everybody will be angry. They won't know who to blame, so they'll start blaming each other. Well, that gives you the solution to that problem, doesn't it? It's like, let's we know who to blame. Klaus. <laughs> it's like right. so actually making it well known that they're likely to perpetrate this and that who the who at least some identifiable high enough enough upfront people are for it to receive the blame if they pull the trigger actually can do a lot to blunt their courage to actually deploy such a thing mm-hmm. they would get a lot of traction out of pretending we were all conspiracy theorists and laughing after we stopped them from doing something horrific like that mm-hmm. uh that, so that's really important. We also should talk about like how is how how's that going to play out? Well, you, you might go just read some like articles. Like, where do they say the cyber attacks are going to hit? Did you guess X? <laughs> Did you yeah. count the number of articles that they've written saying that Elon Musk has made the internet way less safe and also m- much more much less secure, causing national security threats, causing um, 
you know, the opening up for massive cyber attacks and who knows what the implications could be, how well, in the world a cyber rum, attack rum, against X is going to close power down. I don't know, yeah, but rumble and locals both got struck with DDoS attacks yesterday. Uh, and I'm, and then I'm also reading those articles about X the same day. And I'm like, man, it's all right there. I mean, but yeah. then again, maybe I'm just, crazy. yeah. So this is what I'm saying. <laughs> and so we can guess that they're real pissed at Elon about this. We can guess that they're going to, probably try to blame him for creating the opening by which the cyber attacks happened, some huge cyber attack, and they're going to try to channel people's anger through a mass disinformation campaign. So everybody's mad at everybody and the wrong things, you know, stoke with this, with the movie shows that you're going to use lots of uh, uh, coordinated like chaos agent activity to get people mad at the wrong stuff. And we've just got to be absolutely vigilant in sharing that these fools did this to us before and these fools are going to try to do it to us in other ways that's but it's like you know you see stuff like this and it's like oh an election year <laughs> in the united yeah. states how yeah. about that you know like duh so if they only managed to do a small scale to attack elon what would that be well elon obviously made the internet not safe so let's shut down twitter and or x or whatever let's shut that down and with that shut down where can people, oh, well, maybe maybe Rumble's really dangerous too, so let's make sure we shut that down. We've got to make sure all the avenues to to uh, being able to speak are shut down because somehow they enable the cyber attacks. And you, it's Elon's fault somehow. And you know that this is, this is um, you can you can very easily guess, I should say, it's a very shrewd guess that, that these are the kind of directions that they're going to go. Cyber attack against Twitter, blame Musk, probably expand it to other things. It's still somehow Elon's fault. Um he well, set off a cascade of cyber attacks, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Klaus has been, been, you can say advertising, you could say in the language of fifth generational warfare, operational preparation of the battlefield for the cyber attacks very, very clearly since 2020. Yep. Well, and, and just so for the audience's sake, so that they understand that we're not just total nutcases that are plucking this out of the blue. It was January of this year that the World Economic Forum said after their cyber polygon, uh, you know, test run and discussions that it was going to be like a 90% a probability over the next 24 months, which would put us, you know, just three months after the election, basically right on the inauguration for the next president. So by, before then, they are saying there's a 90% chance that we will have a, a far reaching internet blackout and power outages. And it's like, man, that that is just uh, an uncanny timeline that should give you tremendous pause. And here's the issue is that if they actually proceed with it, which nothing would really stop them from proceeding with it, aside from the American people understanding if it were to transpire, it's actually happening by them and, and that we shouldn't automatically assume that it's, you know, China or some invading army that's doing it as they try to, you know, kind of seed our minds with that uh, potentiality in the movie that we were, we were referencing earlier, but rather come together in that moment and, and not tear each other to shreds. The entire premise of the movie being that in that 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 void of understanding and knowledge and and lack of clarity we will turn against each other have a civil war that's the only way that we can actually be defeated is to tear each other apart and i think that's true and that leads me to my final question which was you know i as a hardcore libertarian anarcho-capitalist i've always been in favor of peaceful secession just because i i believe that the federal government is 
very tyrannical and ultimately um, that may be our best hope. I know that that you have uh, very vocally opposed that position and, and I totally understand your logic that that's ultimately what the globalists want and it, and it makes it uh, easier for their plans to, to be victorious. I'm just curious if there is a point at which you would go, okay, you know, we've lost, it's time to consolidate Texas, Florida, Tennessee, whatever, you know, whatever anti-woke, sane, freedom-loving states are left into kind of the, the last stronghold. Do you think we would ever get to that point where you would say, okay, yeah, this is this is what we have to do? Okay, so before that, I'm going to ask you a return question, given what you just described about the cyber attacks. Are sure. you still hesitant on the word evil? <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, see, let, let me clarify it. I, I agree that these people are evil. The problem is that the many religious people, when they hear evil, they put it in the connotation of biblical prophecy, and I don't really want to go down that path because then you get into the Revelation talk, you get into yeah, the yeah, yeah, Armageddon. Yeah. That shit scares me. Yeah. Um, so if the the question you're asking me is a challenging question, is it ever time to basically circle the wagons is in a sense the question you're asking me. Yes. Um, and at some point, uh, the answer to is there ever a time to circle the wagons, the answer has to be yes, there has to be some point, and it's probably worth gaming out where that is. But the primary goal should be remembered at this point the primary goal is to fracture the United States and, and break its unity and its its even limping reliance on the Constitution. Yeah. Um, and so there's no like walking into that like Leroy Jenkins that seems like a good idea. It's <laughs> like, you know, you there's a lot of pathways to doing that, pulling that trigger way too early and giving them what they want. Uh, I haven't seen a concert like the most concerted thing that I've seen was actually kind of the national divorce narrative. Um, but I haven't seen like this huge pressured psyops from the other side yet that suggests that they're really trying to stoke that. Um, yeah, agreed. But it, if to the answer to your question, is there at least not just in principle, but in practice, some point where circling the wagons is necessary? The answer is yes. Is it now? No. Um, it's, Really, the trigger has to be something to do with the Constitution actually falling. I know a lot of these right-wing guys think that it's already a dead document, which I'm flabbergasted by, frankly, because, yeah, we don't win every legal battle, but we're actually starting to win major legal battles on the Constitution. And it's like literally starting to be a pattern of winning and like a growing momentum of winning. Yeah. Uh, the circuit courts have affirmed like tons of stuff based off of the constitution. It's, it's in our favor in just the last six months. And then the, the open Court's carry, not doing a, yeah, open carry is, increases have been the godsend too. open carry increases. Um, lots of stuff with not being forced to, not just to play the pronoun game, but like they're saying that kids and some of the, like, well, I forgot which district, which circuit, the eighth or something like that affirmed that like, it you, you can't force kids to to endorse the gender ideology beliefs of other kids at school like there's lots of other stuff going on and it's like it's not time to give up on that yet uh something that is like a legitimate undeniable gigantic constitutional crisis um like well beyond the they put trump in jail level um packing the supreme court even then, I don't know. That's it's like that's hard. There, the question would be: Is there other ways to challenge that? But yeah, if they if they basically throw the whole thing into the lake at that point, I mean, if we have if we have a dozen Katanji Brown Jacksons, we're pretty fucked. 
Yeah, that's that's a bad scene right there. <laughs> yeah, Having one is rough. bad. Having exactly. one's really bad. Exactly. Um, uh, we got one more super chat, and then we'll we'll get out of here. Uh, Mark's lives uh, says when my congregation donated food and time to help foster kids who are aging out of the system have a place and Thanksgiving meal. I thought uh, a thought occurred to me. Uh, this country has a Christian problem. Interesting. Uh, donate food and time to help foster kids who are aging. I don't. I don't know why that would be a problem. But uh, anyways, I appreciate that. I don't know what the problem of the Christian problem is, but um, like that Christianity is a problem. Uh, It can be problematic sometimes, but like everything. Compared to to what we're up against, I think it's the lesser of any problems that we have. Um, Yeah. uh, I mean, I don't need a theocracy either. No. I'd really rather not. Position coming back. I know there's a lot of people who are like pretty warm on that idea, and it's like you guys can't even clean up your denominations, and I'm supposed to hand you over like religious authority over everything, including the constitution. No, thank you. Like, no, thank Uh, you. Yeah, no that that is that is my my fear. But there is this this natural pendulum swing back that you know as we've gotten away from God and away from uh, you know structured religion, I do think that there is a, a tendency that everything's kind of falling apart. Which I agree with their assessment, but I'm not at all certain that that swinging back to a hard right you know Christian nationalism bent is the answer. Obviously, it's very challenging to get that pendulum to stop in the middle. I don't think that's going to happen. I'm not even sure that I want it to be in the middle. I'd probably like it to be more towards the Christian side, just because I think that those principles are foundational for a much more healthy civilization. Um, but I am very nervous about it becoming kind of a, a totalitarian uh, right-wing reaction. And and I think that that's, that's something that, you know, I, I hadn't been afraid of because we were just so far towards the left. But now I'm starting to see these wins that you're describing. And I'm starting to think to myself, man, if like, I don't even know that it's necessarily Trump, but the next iteration of Trump, the guy who who comes after, like that guy is going to be a scary figure if, uh, particularly if Trump gets put in jail or anything crazy like that happens, well then yeah, we're going to have a a real right-wing extremist uh, movement in this country. And I I can't really blame them because it's like, yeah, well, your your president got put in fucking prison after being cooed and uh, having psychological warfare and uh, airborne pathogen (laughs) released to get him out of power and all this other shit. It's like, yeah, I understand why you'd react in that way. But at the same time, like I'm trying to avoid violence. Like desperately, I want to avoid uh, a civil war. There is nothing more horrific than it. Well, a world war would obviously be more, but civil war is right there with it. Uh, and I feel like we are are in real danger of that being the potential outcome for this nation and, and for the world. Um, but anyways, I didn't want to end it on a sad note, but I have a tendency of doing that. James, your work has been invaluable to me over the years. Every time I have you on, uh, I, I always repeat that and I encourage you to keep going. I think that you're doing uh, a tremendous job at educating people uh, as to the inner workings of academia in a way that very few people are capable of. And uh, I'm stunned that you continue to do it. I, I'm eternally grateful for your your diligence and, and your courage. And uh, yeah, go ahead and tell people where they can follow you, man. Yeah, well, you follow me on the social medias at Conceptual James. My company is New Discourses, and its website is newdiscourses.com. You can find me there. Um, New Discourses on social media for its uh, profiles or whatever. I'm everywhere but Facebook. Facebook kicked me off forever for making fun of the Canadian maid service, which is not people coming to clean your room uh, until after you're dead, I guess, maybe. Um, so don't look for me on Facebook. I'm not there. But other than that, you can find me pretty much everywhere. Love it. 
at Liberty Lockpot on X, Liberty Lockdown on Instagram. Liberty Lockdown is the show on Rumble and YouTube. And the best political show is what you're watching right now. We are Change on Rumble. We also do the opening segment on YouTube, which we had to delete uh, this time just because I don't I don't know. We, there were some clips in there that probably would run afoul of the censors over there. But the best way to support us is to sign up right now on Rumble to rumble.com slash we are change all one word and uh leave a comment share it around let people know that what we're doing we will be back tomorrow with dave smith it's going to be a great interview and then next week we'll be back in studio with a great lineup of guests and uh don't miss it we're out of here guys peace